You're listening to podcast audio from Radiant Church, located in Bay City, Michigan. For more information on Radiant Church, you can check us out on www.radiantbc.com or follow us on social media at Radiant Bay City. Well, good morning, Radiant Church. So good to be with all of you uh, this morning. And uh, again, if you're new here, my name is Marco. I'm the lead pastor here. Thank you so much for making Radiant a part of your weekend. Before we get into our message this morning, I want to give us a quick update on our Heart for the House campaign that we are kind of in the middle in. Um, If you are new with us, I'll give you a very, very quick overview. We have been putting away money ever. Actually, it's been over a year now that we've been saving money for a new roof, and we actually have that, uh, 90% of that is already saved in the bank, but we wanted to um, try to get some more funds together so we could do extra projects here in the church, like brand new counters in the men's bathrooms and air conditioners for the kids' classrooms and potentially a new broadcast room in the future. And so we are are raising money for this goal and, of course, to help with the roof as well. The goal is $35,000, and we are at $10,549.45, if I can get that all all the way out. And so we're almost the third way there, and this is going to be open. This fund will be open until the end of September. And if you have not given, I simply just want you to pray about it. Just go to God in prayer and ask what you would give. And listen, can I, just, can I just be honest? Every little bit helps, you guys. Every little bit helps. If you're thinking, well, Pastor Marco, I can only give 25 bucks. Well, then give 25 bucks. Whatever it is that the Lord puts on your heart above our tithe, then that will go to our building fund. And we would love to see this come to, uh, for us to hit that goal of $35,000. Well, this morning we are in part number two of a message series that I began last week, and this message series is known or is entitled as Be Radiant. What is Be Radiant all about? This is a message series where I talk about what makes us, or I answer the question rather, what makes us radiant? What does it mean to be radiant? Essentially what I'm doing here is I'm talking about the core values of a radiant church, the core values of a radiant church. Why am I doing this at this point in history? Well, as you know, you saw the announcement just a few moments ago, we are about to turn four years old, and that's amazing. We're celebrating that. But because we're about to turn four years old and because um, there have been, just in the last year, there have been so many people who have come in and out those doors, and so many of you are newer to Radiant Church. You maybe, maybe you haven't been around very long. I wanted to take this opportunity to really speak on the values, the core values of what makes us Radiant Church, and this is a great opportunity to reevaluate, to reemphasize our foundation, and so we'll be doing that during this series, and each of these core values are, are rooted in a biblical text, okay? So don't worry, this is not just going to be like some leadership talk, okay? We're gonna, there's going to be a lot of Bible, and we're going to dive into Scripture during this series. Last week, if you were with us, I said that we are a Word-centered church, a Word-centered church. We believe that the Bible is the Word of God. Now, I know not everybody believes that anymore, but as a church, that's what we believe. The Bible is the Word of God. And the Bible is authoritative. In other words, it has the right, it has the power to tell us how to live our lives as believers. 
Why does it have that authority? Well, here's why. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Paul writes to Timothy and says, All Scripture, right, all Scripture is God-breathed, or literally it's breathed out by God. It's, it's this, this Greek word, theopneustos. It's breathed out by God. And when we read the Bible, it's not like we're reading To Kill a Mockingbird, okay? It's different. Why? Because every word actually is breathed out by God. So when we read the Bible, the Bible reads us. That's right. The Bible is God's self-disclosure to the world. It's the revelation of who God is, ultimately pointing us to Jesus Christ. People all over the world will ask, I wonder what God is like. Boy, wouldn't it be amazing if I just knew what God was like? Well, I don't know what he's like. I don't know either. Let's worship that tree. Sounds good to me. Well, no, we say as Christians, we say, no, 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 no. God has revealed himself. It's, it's not a secret. We can open up his word and it points us to the character of God and ultimately to the saving work of Jesus Christ. We are a word-centered church. Today I want to talk about our second core value, and that value is this. We are a spirit-empowered church, a spirit-empowered church. And we're going to dive right into Scripture this morning. We're going to go to Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse number 4. We're going to look at several verses there here in just a moment. Luke is the writer, and I want you to notice what Luke says here. He says, on one occasion while he was eating with them, and this is Jesus, by the way, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water. He's talking about John the Baptist here. But in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? In other words, God, are you going to help us lead a rebellion against Rome? Because we want the kingdom to be restored to the Jewish people of that day, right? This is the first century. God, are you going to restore the kingdom? Are you going to help us overthrow all of our enemies? And I want you to notice what, what Jesus says here. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you, so I love how Jesus sort of throws the ball back in their court, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. In other words, you will testify. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and then Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And so it keeps going further, more out. That's what Jesus is trying to say. This message will go out to the very ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. And a cloud hid from their, hid him from their sight. So this is known, theologians call this the ascension of Jesus, okay? Powerful passage of Scripture, and we're going to unpack this uh, in, in some greater detail. Let's take a few moments and let's pray. Let's invite God in our midst as we open his word. Heavenly Father, we do love you and we do thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for your word, that your word is sharper than the double-edged sword. God, that your word uh, pierces into our hearts. 
So, Lord, this morning, would you open up our hearts this morning, open up our ears to hear the word of God. Give us eyes to see clearly and unlock deaf ears and open blind eyes and draw us to your son, Jesus. And God, if anyone is in here who doesn't know you, I pray that you just might soften their hearts and that they would surrender their lives by the end of this message, by the end of this service, they would call you king. They would call you Lord and Master and Savior. God. Lord, we, we take a moment to recognize and to pray for the church in Afghanistan, our brothers and sisters there who will face persecution, are facing persecution. And we ask that you might hide them. We ask that you might shelter them and protect them, Lord. God, we, we pray for all people who wish to leave the country, God. May you grant them safe passage out, Lord miraculously, Lord, setting them free. Lord, our hearts are also with the 13th service, men and women who lost their lives, uh, the soldiers who lost their lives in the terror attack. Lord, our hearts are with their family. May you give them peace. God, may you comfort them, Holy Spirit. Lord, for the rest of those, the Afghans who, who have died already, I think there was close to 100 people who had died in those explosions. God, our hearts, our prayers are with them. Lord, bring peace bring comfort. And Lord, in this situation right now, we ask that your kingdom come there in Afghanistan. Let it come there as it is in heaven. And Lord, may you use your church powerfully and may hundreds and thousands of Muslims give their hearts to you, God. May we see the greatest revival we've seen in the Middle East yet, God. We know that the fastest growing church is in Iran, but the second fastest growing church in the world is also Afghanistan. So, Lord, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, have you ever went to the grocery store and you went with a purpose? You went with a purpose because your heart was set on buying all of the ingredients for that certain food item, that, that dish that you were craving Right, you maybe it was homemade Chinese food for me in my house. Let me just say, for me in my house, it shall be nachos. And we, um, you know, we, we, I, I love nachos with all the fixings. Can I get an amen? All right, all right. Some people are alive this morning. I have to talk about food to get you to wake up a little bit. I, I, I love the meat, right? I love the jalapenos, I love the beans, the black beans, or the pinto beans, whatever's your flavor, it's all good, right? I love, um, what else is there, the, um, the, the black olives, of course, the, the shredded cheese, and then there's the liquid cheese, and then the salsa. Oh, don't forget the sour cream, because that would be offensive if we forgot the sour cream. We don't want to forget that. And you go to the grocery store with a mission, right? You have to get all of the, the ingredients because your family is craving some homemade nachos. You get home and you're so excited and you're like, man, you're throwing everything on the counter and you're about ready to get everything, you know, cooked and, and get it set for your family. And then you realize you forgot the chips. The one thing that you needed the most. You forgot. You, you almost had everything you needed for that perfect dinner for your family that night, but you forgot the one thing that you needed. You were so focused on the other items that you forgot the most obvious one. And that is the worst, isn't it? You get home and you're like, oh, I got to go back to Kroger. Are you serious, right? 
Everything but one ingredient. Well, what about this? Have you ever studied for a test? Maybe it was in high school. Maybe it was in college. Maybe it was just, you know, for further advancement in your career. And you study. I mean, you spend hours upon hours studying for what you think will be on that test. And then test day comes and you sit at the desk or wherever it is, the table, whatever it is, and you start to take the test and you're like, okay, ooh, this is good. I know this one. I know this one. And I know this one. And you're like, oh, yes, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I studied. I'm so prepared. And you're, you're feeling so confident. And then you get to a section of the test and all of a sudden you see five or ten questions and you think, oh, my goodness. I did not study for that. I did not think that was going to be on the test. And maybe it was, maybe it was that you forgot. Maybe it was that you, you ran out of time and you just didn't have enough. T- you, were, you were too tired. You had to go to bed, you know, the night before so you could wake up energized. Maybe it was that you just, you just didn't think that that material would be on the test. And so you were prepared for everything except that one item, that one thing you did not study for. And you go through that section and you're so frustrated because, why? Because you're essentially having to answer every single one of those multiple choice questions. You had everything, but there was still one thing missing. Well, here in Acts chapter 1, Luke is our writer, and Luke is telling us the story the story of Jesus and the story of the church after the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. And essentially, Luke is writing this story of the church in action. And we know this. We know that Jesus, after his resurrection from the dead, he appeared to his disciples for over a period of 40 days. Of 40 days. And then on one occasion, he was having a meal with them, and he gives them this command. And the command is rooted, is rooted in really the mission of God or the mission of the church, right? And Jesus is essentially saying this, there is one more thing you need. You have everything, but there's one more thing you need. You have the advantage of sitting under my teaching. You sat under my teaching for around three years. You saw the firsthand accounts of miracles. You saw me heal people, right? You knew what the mission was. You guys know what the mission was, what the mission is. You heard me say in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I will be with you, what? To the very end of the age. Jesus says, you remember those words. You know the mission. You have everything you need except the one thing that you need the most. And that's the power of God living in you. The power of God living in you. In other words, the task that each of these disciples is about to embark on, or the journey, the the, the mission of God for all of us here 
in Radiant Church are listening today, for me, myself, and all of you guys included, the task, the mission is so grand, it's so monumental, it's so just ginormous that Jesus is telling them, you cannot do this in your own strength. You cannot do this on your own. Jesus is saying you need, we need what? The power of God in us and through us. Because here's the deal. The disciples had heard the stories. They knew of their ancestors, of the prophets and the priests and the kings in the Old Testament, that the Spirit of God would come upon them for moments, moments of leadership, moments of where they were especially gifted for a task. You see, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon, and that's the language used, the Holy Spirit would come upon certain people for certain tasks, but the Holy Spirit did not live within the believer until here, what we're about to see in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, where the Spirit now fills believers. The power of God himself fills believers. And so Jesus says, you've heard about what took place with the prophets and with the disciples, but can I just tell you, this will be different. You will be baptized. That word baptized is an interesting word. It literally means to be dunked, to be submerged. Think of the Oreo cookie being dipped in milk, right? That's the picture we have. Immersion. Jesus says you will be dunked in the Holy Spirit. You will be immersed or submerged, just like a ship going under in the water, into the Holy Spirit. And when you're immersed in the Holy Spirit, you will receive what? Power. Power to do, to accomplish the mission of God here on the earth. And that's, that's what God wants for Radiant Church for all of you, that we are a spirit, that we would be a what? A spirit-empowered church, the Holy Spirit. Now, I, I, for many of you, perhaps, this is a bit new because here in Bay City, I often run into a lot of people who, you know, they come out of that Catholic background. God bless Catholics. I love Catholics, right? Got a lot of family members who are Catholics. Got a lot of friends who I know are Baptists. And they're like, the Holy who? Who's the Holy Spirit? Right? They hear a lot about Jesus. Maybe growing up you heard a lot about the Bible. Right? Oftentimes it's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible. Right? But you haven't heard a whole lot about the Holy Spirit. Jesus has referred to him earlier in John chapter 14. Here's what he says. He says this, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Jesus calls him this, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives in you, for he lives, <clears throat> sorry, for he lives with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. Jesus says to his disciples, I'm not going to leave you as orphans don't worry, I, I know I have to go. I know I'm going to the cross, but I'm not going to leave you alone, all right? It's, it's better, actually, that I do go so that what? So that I can send the advocate to you. In, in other words, Jesus says, I'm going to send the Spirit to you. He's going to be with us and in us. Jesus, in this section of Scripture, calls the Holy Spirit the advocate, but did you know that the Holy Spirit is also called the, the helper? The Holy Spirit is also called the counselor, he's your counselor. The Holy Spirit is also called the comforter. He's your comforter. The Holy Spirit is our advocate. He's our helper. 
He's our counselor. And he's our comforter. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to, the, to do the mission of God here on the earth. Here's a, here's a basic definition I want to give you of the Holy Spirit. It says this, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, okay? God the Father, there's God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Each person of the Trinity is divine. They are each God, but we do not worship three gods. It's one God in three persons. I know that's a bit difficult to wrap our minds around, but this is the truth of what Scripture teaches. He is, the Spirit, is God's personal presence with us and in us. He fills us with power and enables us to carry out the mission of Jesus on the earth. What's the mission of Jesus, by the way? You might be asking that. Well, it's simply to seek and to save the lost. It's to bring the kingdom of God here on the earth as it is in heaven. You see, the gospel is less about us going to heaven and more about heaven coming into us. Okay? We need the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, his personal power, presence to be in us and with us so that what? We can do the work of God here on the earth. And listen, I'm not just talking to like pastors and preachers or missionaries. I'm talking about all of you. Whatever role God has given you, whatever career God has put you in, whatever gifts he's given you, it doesn't matter. All of us, okay? We need the Holy Spirit to do the work of God, to do his work in the sphere, in the place he's put us. We need his Holy Spirit. Essentially, Jesus says to them, and he's saying this to us today, hey, hey, don't rush off into Christian ministry. Don't just rush off and try to do the work unprepared. You can't carry God's, you can't carry the work of God's work in your own, in your own power, in your own strength. You need the Spirit of God. You need the Holy Spirit. Because the only way that we can fulfill Christ's command to wit, to be a witness, is to what? Is to be under, under the control of the Holy Spirit who empowers us for service. Okay? Now, I want to say one more thing about the Holy Spirit, and this is not an exhaustive teaching by no means, okay? Because that would take about three hours, maybe four hours, okay? But let me just say this. The Holy Spirit is a person and not a force. So less Star Wars, okay, and more New Testament, okay? The Holy Spirit is a person. He's not a force. I want to make that clear. What does that mean? Why is that so important? Well, Here's why it's important. It, it, because the Holy Spirit is a person, that, it means this. It means that we can have a relationship with him because he's personal and he's relational. Okay? The Holy Spirit is a person. That means that we can have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. He's personal and he's relational. That means this, that we can know him personally, that you can know the Holy Spirit personally. If you didn't know that, I'm here to tell you this morning, you can know the Holy Spirit personally. Did you know this, that you, uh, that you can sense his presence? You can sense his presence. Did you know that you can speak to the Holy Spirit? You can speak to the Holy Spirit. It's okay. Did you know that you can be led by the Holy Spirit? In fact, that's what God has given us. That's one of the roles of the Holy Spirit. That God wants to lead you by his personal presence. Spirit of God, the, the Holy Spirit, you can be led by him. You can have a relationship with the Holy 
Spirit. And so here's what I want to do with the rest of our time this morning. I want to just show you this morning. I'm going to do a little bit of teaching this morning. Less sermon, more teaching. Okay, guys? More teaching, less sermon. But hold on with me. I'm going to try to make it as interesting as I can. I think it's really interesting because it's the Bible and I love the Bible. So I'm going to show you three things that the Holy Spirit does. Now, again, in no way is this exhaustive. So, so please don't say, Pastor Marco, yeah, but you forgot. I know, okay? This is not an exhaustive teaching on the Holy Spirit. For that, take the class. Um, what is it called? I can't remember. I blanked out. The Holy Spirit class that we teach here. I just don't remember what it's called all of a sudden. School of the Spirit, Carter, you get a bonus. You get a bonus this week on your paycheck, all right? School of the Spirit, if you want an exhaustive teaching, a more exhaustive, it's a four, four, actually it's about more like an eight-hour class altogether. We meet four different times, and each session is about two hours, okay? It's an eight-hour class devoted to the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. I'm not, this is, this is going to be about ten more minutes, you guys. This is not going to be exhaustive, okay? I want to talk about three things the Holy Spirit does, but I think these things are really important for us this morning, Okay? So number one, the Holy Spirit leads us. We talked about that just a moment ago. The Holy Spirit leads us. Here's what we know. From Scripture, did you know that the Holy Spirit led Jesus? You might know that already. Let me point out a verse to you. Luke 4, verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit. You see that underline? Thank you for underlining that, tech team. Was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit, and he was led by the Holy Spirit. He also leads all of us, all of his children, the children of God, sons and daughters of God. Let me point out one more verse to you. Romans 8, 14 says this, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Okay, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Now, okay, so Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit, and we're no different in the sense that God wants to lead us by His Spirit. Now, think about this for just a few moments. Think about this in, in, in the natural world, okay? In the natural world, we are led by many things. Come on, somebody, right? We are led by our desires. They're not always holy, <laughs> right? We are led by our appetites, not always holy again, physical, sexual appetites. We're led by what we see on, on the TV screen. We're led by what culture teaches. We're led sometimes, unfortunately, by what politicians say. We're led by all sorts of things in the natural. I'm talking about in the natural. But here's what we know about believers we live in the supernatural, right? We have been born again by what? By the Spirit of God. We've been recreated. That's what Paul says, that we are a new creation in Christ Jesus, that the old is past, the new has come. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, I believe. You can read it yourself. We have been made new in Jesus. Now, therefore, that means that we are now led, or we should be anyways. Again, we don't always do this. But we should be now led by what? By who? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit now should lead you, should lead me. We're meant to be led by the Holy Spirit. Okay? Now, think about this. 
Sometimes God leads us where we would otherwise, you know, otherwise not go, where we wouldn't go ourselves, right? We see Jesus being led into the wilderness for 40 days and right, 40 nights, and, and he's led into the wilderness. That's probably not the place that he would go himself, but that's where the Spirit of God is leading him. And in the year 2007, um, God led me back to Michigan. I was in, I was in Colorado from 2006 to 2007, and then three years before that, I was in um, Tempe, Arizona, and then Gilbert, Arizona. I was a school teacher. I taught middle school. My undergrad is in um, elementary education. I think it's K through A. Of course, my license has no longer, it's no longer even good, but whatever. Anyways, and so I was a school teacher, and then I went to school of worship, to New Life School of Worship, to be a worship leader. I had all these grand dreams of being on the stage and just singing, and the lights like, ah, and people just like, ah, you know, like, because everybody loves the worship leader, right? Everybody loves the worship. They get goosebumps, and they like cry, but the preacher, eh, I'm not as popular. Anyhow, I had all these grandiose dreams of being a worship leader, right? And um, so God, I was going to go back to Arizona. That's what Marco wanted to do, me in the flesh. Why Arizona? Because palm trees, hello, because in December it's 75 degrees. Yes, sir, right? Amen. And it's sunny almost every single day. And so Marco was going to go back to Phoenix or Gilbert because I knew of two new church plants I knew the pastors personally, and I wanted to be a part of those churches. I was like, yes, God, thank you. You're sending me back to Arizona, and uh, uh, thank you, God. I'm going to suffer for you in the sunny weather, palm trees, and it's just going to be amazing. Thank you, Jesus. I take up my cross and follow you. And I came back to Michigan during Christmas break. Why? Because all my family here is here in Michigan, and my friend Matt Ferrante, who's now a big guitar player for uh, Brett Young, tours all over the world. He's, a, he's, got, he's got his own album out. Um, he's a great, I, I, I still, um, still talk to him every once in a while. He makes me laugh. I love that guy. And um, he wanted me to come to visit his dad's church. And so I did that. And um, when I was in the foyer area of that church, the Holy Spirit said, Marco, I want you to come back to Bay City and serve at this church. And I said, you got to be kidding me. I'm good. I'm straight. I'm going back to Arizona. <laughs> so I went back to Arizona because I was only in town for a week. And guess what the Holy Spirit did? He kept saying to me, Marco, I want you to go back to Bay City and serve at that church. I'm leading you there. I'm going to make a way for you. And I was like, I'm good, God. Can you, can you just leave me alone? Seriously, I have my own plans. Seriously, it's getting a, a little bit annoying. The Holy Spirit kept saying, Marco, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. This is really what he wants me to do. And so guess what? I came back to Michigan. Right? <laughs> now, fast forward many years later. I moved to Grand Rapids because I felt the Holy Spirit lead me there, me and my wife there. After seminary, I graduate from seminary, and here's what Marco wants. I want to, and I'm just being vulnerable with you because I want you to know how practical the Holy Spirit is, okay? I don't want you to think of the Holy Spirit as some sort of like, like no, no, no. Very practical, like very, okay, it's very practical. He, lead, he wants to lead you. 
He's not weird. Now, people are weird, but the Holy Spirit is not weird, okay? Amen? After seminary, I wanted to take over an existing church. Because why? Because that would be easier. Because that would take less faith. And the Holy Spirit said, I'm calling you back to Bay City. And I was like, no, 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 no. And then I told my wife, and she says, nope. Not happening. She says, nope. We're not going back there. I says, yeah, babe, but I, I feel like he's starting to nudge me. And she went, That's pra- I mean, I'm just being practical. And then Pastor Lee says to me, singing in his office, I think you're supposed to go and plant a church in Bay City, and it's supposed to be radiant. And I said, I don't know about that, but I'll pray about it. <laughs> and guess what the Holy Spirit told me as I was praying? He said, Marco, I'm sending you back to Bay City to plant a radiant church. And I'm like, oh, are you, What? And I, had, I thought that I had graduated from the school of faith. You know what I'm saying? Anybody? You get to a certain point. I'm 43. I just turned 43. I know I look like I'm 22 years old. But I'm 43. I just turned 43. I thought I had graduated from the school of faith and that I could now live a comfortable life. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that ridiculous? I'm being vulnerable because I want you to know that kind of mindset that creeps into all of us that we pursue comfort more than the leading of the Holy Spirit. And said, so I told God, God, I thought I had graduated from the school of faith. I thought that I wasn't going to need faith. And the Holy Spirit said to me, you're just beginning your journey of faith, Marco. Can I just tell you that? You're just beginning. And I just was like, wow. That was sobering. Tears filled my eyes. I'm like, wow. Okay, God, like... He said, you're just beginning. You're just a baby in your faith journey. You watch what I do in you and through you. It's just going to get started now. I'm saying all this because why? The Holy Spirit will often lead us to places where we would otherwise go, where we wouldn't go on our own. Now, not always. I'm not always trying to say that the will of God is something that you don't want to do because a lot of Christians think that. That's also not true, okay? But the Holy Spirit will lead you to do things that you, you wouldn't do in your own power, your own strength, by your own liking. He will cause you to go up to that person and pay for their coffee. He will cause you to go and tell that stranger your testimony. He will cause you to, to take up a faith endeavor that you've never done before. He will cause you to go and share your faith with your coworker. He will cause you to be generous with that person because he wants you to show the generosity of God to that person or that family. He will call you to do things that you normally may not do in the flesh, and that is what he's best at doing. Amen? And that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do, not just in me, but in you as well. You see, if we're not, if we're not led by the Holy Spirit, we will be led by something else. We will be led by political ideologies. We will be led by our feelings. We will be led by our appetites. We will be led by our culture. If you are not led by the Holy Spirit, you will be led by something else. Number two, the Holy Spirit sanctifies us. 
That's a fancy word. What does that mean? It means literally to make us holy. He makes us holy. So let me read to you 1 Corinthians 6, 11. Paul says this, And that is what some of you were. He's talking about all these attributes that are from, you know, the sinful nature. And that is what some of you were, but you were washed, he says. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I love what the Apostle Paul says here. He says, you were sanctified. You were made holy. So listen, being that his name is the Holy Spirit, it should not surprise us that he what? Makes us holy. So let me explain to you a little bit of theology this morning, okay? Uh, when we are converted, when we come into a relationship with Jesus and we're born again, at, upon conversion, the Holy Spirit does a work, uh, a work of sanctifying us where he um, separates us or, or, or rips off the pattern of behavior, the sinful pattern of behavior that we were walking in before we were saved, okay? He, he, he separates us. He makes us holy. But the Holy Spirit does not stop there. There is an ongoing work that the Holy Spirit does in all of us to what? To grow us in our holiness. Now, the Apostle Paul writes about this in Galatians chapter 5. Where is it? Uh, verse 22 and verse 23. The Apostle Paul calls this what? The fruit of the Spirit. This is the fruit that God wants to bring about in each of our lives. Love, joy, peace, okay? patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I got all nine of them. Praise God, right? <laughs> Those are the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's the fruit that God wants you and I to bear. Think about that. Love, okay, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. He wants you to be gentle, gentleness, and he wants you to have self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. These are the qualities that reflect the character of God. You see, Paul in Romans chapter 8, I think it's Romans 8, 13, says it is by the Spirit that you can what? Put to death the misdeeds of the body. It's actually possible. It's, it's Paul telling us that we can grow in holiness. Now, check this out. This is the idea that the longer that we walk with Jesus, the more we are growing in his likeness, the, 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 the more we're supposed to look like Jesus. In other words, it's the Holy Spirit's job to conform us into the image of Christ. It's the Holy Spirit's job to conform us more into the image of Christ. It's our job, guess what, to cooperate. <laughs> All right? Sometimes we don't want to cooperate. That's what I've learned about humanity. It's our job to cooperate. Now, this is an ongoing work, and we call this, get ready for it, progressive sanctification. Why? Because it's an ongoing work. Philippians 1.6, he, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He began a good work in all of you. I hope he did anyways. Okay? He began a good work in me. And the will of God is to carry that out into completion until I see Jesus face to face. It's an ongoing work. Progressive sanctification. Now, let me just say this really quick. There are some camps or some Christian camps that believe that once you're sanctified, 
that you no longer sin. Now, I've never met a person who's experienced that, okay? That's called perfectionism. It's this idea that you meet a moral, you attain a moral state where you're no longer in sin. You no longer sin at all, okay? Perfectionism. Again, I, I, I wish I could say that about myself, but I can't. There's also another camp that might say, they call it this, it's called antinomianism. A little bit of theology this morning. Antinomianism basically believes, hey, I've been saved by grace, so no matter what I do, it doesn't matter. I've been saved by grace. I can live my life how I want to do. So they're anti, anti is against uh, nomian or namas is the Greek word for law, against the law. They're against any sort of law or legal. It's a kickback from legalism is what that means. And essentially they believe, hey, I can live my life any way I want to. It doesn't matter. I'm saved by grace. Well, I believe that Scripture doesn't teach that. I believe Scripture teaches progressive sanctification. It does matter how you live. God is watching, right? God is wanting to make you holy, okay? So think about this for just a few moments. Think back, think, think back to a time when you, the time when you first became a Christian. Can you, can you say you are more holy now than you were then? Ooh. Don't worry, you don't have to answer out loud. It's honestly a bit of a convicting question, though, right? Are you becoming more like Jesus the longer that you walk with him, or are you becoming meaner? Are you becoming more judgmental? Are you becoming less kind? Because that's not the will of God for your life. The will of God is that you might be sanctified to walk with Jesus and to be like him. Finally, number three, the Holy Spirit helps us to grasp God's love for us. Let me read Ephesians 3, 16 through 19. Paul says this, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power, here it is, through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you may being rooted and established in love may have power. Power for what, Paul? Together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ? And to know that the love, this love, that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. You see, church, we need the Holy Spirit to reveal to us the love of God. It's true. We need the Holy Spirit to show us how deep the Father's love is for us. How wide, how long, how, how deep is God's love for each and every one of us. We need the Spirit to show us the great lengths that God went, that God went to for you and me, that he sent his one and only Son, Jesus, that whoever shall believe in him, whoever will call upon the name of Jesus, shall not perish but be saved. He did that all because of love. And it's the Holy Spirit who, who reveals the love of God to us and opens our eyes to grasp the great love of God in our lives. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 5, 7, and 8. He says, Very rarely, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might probably dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners... Christ died for us. In other words, 
If you're waiting to get your life cleaned up before you come to Jesus, you'll never come to Jesus. Because you, you're not able to do that on your own. Okay? You're not able to come to Christ cleaned up. You are a mess, and I'm a mess too. And the best thing to do is just say, Jesus, I'm here. Show yourself to me. I want to know the love that you have given me. I want to experience your love. I want to know you personally. I don't want just a religious experience. I want to know you as my Lord and as my Savior. That's what we're going to do here this morning. I actually want to close our service just a a bit differently this morning. I've talked about the Holy Spirit now for 40 minutes, and I want us to now to just make room for him now, okay? It's It's the presence of God and the Spirit of God that God wants to reveal to us. For that, that we might have a real relationship with him. You see, in our staff meetings, we have staff meetings once a month. We meet here at the church, and it's about 12 or 14 of us. And for about 30 minutes, we just worship and pray together. And what we do in that 30 minutes or 35 minutes is we just make room. We make room for the Holy Spirit to what? To pray through us. We make room for the Holy Spirit to manifest himself perhaps in miraculous ways, to give us gifts of the Holy Spirit. And that might be prophecy, that might be tongues, that might be other things. And we didn't talk about those gifts, but we believe in all of the gifts that Paul talks about in Corinthians and Romans. We just, we make room. What does it mean to make room for God in his presence? It just simply means this. It just simply means putting aside distractions and putting our focus on God in his presence. That's all it means. It's just saying, God, I'm going to carve just a few moments, just a few minutes so that we can, we can invite you here, so that I can focus on you and your, your personal presence with me. So I'm going, to, I'm going to pray right now, and I'm going to do that. I'm going to just make room. I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit. He lives in us, but he also wants to manifest himself in a unique way. And the scripture says he does that uniquely when we gather together. It's unique. It's not the same as when you're alone in your prayer closet. It's unique. And so I want to do that. I want to invite the Holy Spirit right now. And if you need healing in your body, I want you to pray that. If you need healing from your heart, from a broken heart, I want you to pray that. If you need healing because you've been depressed, can I tell you, I know what that battle's like. Personally, I know what that's like. I want you to pray. I want you to ask God to deliver you from that. He's going to manifest himself in the room. And when he shows up, like we sang earlier, he heals. He touches lives. He sets free the captives. Come on, I'm already starting to feel the Holy Spirit right now. Let's make room for him right now, church. I'm going to begin to pray. Holy Spirit, we make room for you right now. We make room for you right now. Holy Spirit, come in this place and do what only you can do. Touch lives, God, this morning. Touch lives, God. God, heal those who need physical healing right now. God, heal those who may need an emotional healing. Maybe they're, they're suffering from anxiety. Maybe, God, we've been dealing with depression. God, heal. Lord, heal those who have aches and pains right now. God, when you walk into the room, God, sickness must flee. Everything changes, God, when you walk into the room. God, I feel the joy of the presence of the Lord right now. There's freedom, God, for the captives this morning. There's freedom in the presence of God. So, Jesus, we make room for your spirit. Holy Spirit, have your way in our lives and in our hearts this morning. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, let's, let's, if you want to stand.